It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. We're going to drive! Sweet. There's a shot. High drive! Out of here! This laser beam of a home run for Brandon Crawford. First home run of the year for the Giants, and it's Joey Bart. Is. Challenger strikes out swinging. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Inside Giant Moments. Yastrzemski. Gone! And late night Lamont strikes, strikes again. again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Great call, partner. With Adam Copeland. Welcome back into the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. A fun, fun, fun episode for you today after a pretty fun weekend of Giants baseball. The playoff-bound Phillies come to town. Well, the supposedly playoff-bound Phillies. They're still in a race there for the uh, National League wild card with the San Diego Padres and, of course, the Milwaukee Brewers. One of those teams is going to get kicked to the curb and left out of this playoff picture after the Braves on Tuesday night caught the New York Mets. The Mets had a 10-and-a-half game lead entering June 2nd and then have blown it away after after the Braves, the defending World Series champion Braves, have made a, uh, a really nice run at it as of late. So the Braves tied atop the National League East entering play on Wednesday. And, of course, the Giants go on Thursday for a doubleheader, a makeup doubleheader from early in the season against the Milwaukee Brewers. A, a really weird schedule wrinkle here for the Giants as they play a day game on Wednesday at Dodger Stadium. Two-day games. Well, it'll be a one-day game on Thursday in Milwaukee on the front end of the doubleheader. And then the back end, they'll have a true doubleheader, 45 minutes in between ball games. Uh, not a like a day-night or a, a, a back-to-back immediately. You'll get a, a chance to step away, have a little bit of a snack, and then come on right back for more Giants baseball. And then they go from Milwaukee to Chicago. Not an extremely long flight or anything, but still... Four games, three day games, three cities, three days is pretty incredible in the game of baseball. And and I, you know, we forget so much about the human element and what these guys go through traveling across country and hitting three different cities like that in three days to play four baseball games is a heck of a deal. And three of those games, as we mentioned in the daytime, but we mentioned last weekend, a really exciting weekend for the Giants as they sweep the Philadelphia Phillies and should mention at this point in the podcast, we are going to have a guest today, Dave Fleming, one of the voices of Giants baseball going to stop by and we'll talk to him a little bit about where the Giants go this off season, this last week of Giants baseball and really who he's looking at in the month of September. Lewis Brinson shows up and has really put on a show in his first week and a half or so as a member of the Giants. David VR comes back up at a couple of home runs on Wednesday in that game against the Dodgers and a home run the day before. So he's been swinging the bat really, really well as of late. So there's a couple of guys to pay attention to. And we'll talk about a whole bunch of stuff, including the Willie Mack award that's coming up in just a few weeks with Dave Fleming. We'll talk about all that a little bit later in the podcast, but I have to take the opportunity to enjoy the highlights. That's the thing about baseball. You go through a six-month season, you play 162 games, there's going to be stretches that are sometimes painful, there's going to be stretches that are awesome, and there is undoubtedly always something that stands out from every season, a reason you remember the season. I'm not saying the Wilmer Flores walk-off is a reason to remember the 2022 season, but these are the, the moments, the, the great plays in Giants history that all play to the fabric of when you finally get back to the playoffs, when you finally win a World Series, you remember the tough seasons and what you went through and the great players, the great characters that we let into our homes and into our lives for six months every season. So the Giants are duking it out with the Phillies on Sunday at Oracle Park. Again, had hammered them down a couple of games early in that series 
series, an opportunity to sweep, and here comes Wilmer Flores. Steady as she goes. I always say he's like Leo DiCaprio in The Departed. My hand doesn't move. It doesn't matter. No matter what my heart rate gets to, doesn't matter what the situation is, doesn't matter if it's a clutch moment that I need to perform, Wilmer Flores is as steady as she goes in Major League Baseball in a clutch situation. Here he comes up. Bottom of the ninth inning, Giants are tied 3-3 three to three with the Phillies. Who else do you want at the plate than Mr. Clutch, especially this season, Wilmer Flores? Now Wilmer, he hammers one down the left field line into the corner, deep, way back there. Adios! Pelota! This ballgame is over! Wilmer Flores with a laser beam down the left field line, and... Before you could even wonder if it would stay fair, it was already gone. Right over the 339 marker, into the tunnel, headed out to the Embarcadero for a night on the town. The Giants pour out of the dugout to jump on the back of Wilmer Flores, a two-run homer, and the Giants have swept the Phillies. Wow. Oh, the Hall of Famer, John Miller. What a great call. I always love when broadcasters mix in part of the city you're playing in, and John Miller has done that so many times over the last, I don't know how many generations we go back with John Miller calling Giants games. But when he when he says stuff like, this one's headed for Berkeley, or he's dropping little notes or factoids from around uh, around the Bay Area. I remember a time in Oakland, somebody hit a home run, and he said, this one's headed for the East Bay, or headed for the East Bay Hills, or this one, uh, you hear Bob Fitzgerald do it a whole lot with uh, Steph Curry. He shot that one from Pleasanton. Does not get much better than the Hall of Famer John Miller. A great call for him in this one, the walk-off. The only thing that could even compete would be a walk-off home run call from Dwayne Kuyper. High drive. Down the left field line. Yeah. Out of here. And this game is over. We are so, so, so spoiled to have John Miller calling walk-off home runs, Dwayne Kuyper calling walk-off home runs. We get Mike Kruko in the broadcast booth, and our next guest, one of our other treats to have in the broadcast booth is a member of the San Francisco Giants broadcast team. You've heard him for years in San Francisco. You see him on ESPN all over the place, but he's ours. He's our guy. Dave Fleming joins me next to talk a little Giants baseball right here on the Inside Giant Moments podcast. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Inside Giant Moments podcast, Dave Fleming. You hear him all season long calling Giants. Giants baseball games on the radio and you see him on TV all the time as well. Dave, thanks for coming by the podcast, man. How are you? Hi, Adam. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well, man. It's been actually kind of a fun week of Giants baseball over the last week. How about taking in the, uh, the Wilmer Flores walk off the sweep of the Phillies, the opener against the Dodgers. It, uh, after the seven game losing streak, uh, they, they turned things around a little bit over the last week. Well, you know, baseball can be frustrating because it's a long season and when things aren't going well, you think, oh my God, how are we going to make it through the rest of these games and get to the end of the year and nothing's going right. And then you realize that the, the, the number of games you play also becomes a great feature because you do, you can turn it around and have a great week and you can get great individual performances and feel like, Oh, you know what? This is why I really like this sport. This is why I really like this team after, you know, after a stretch where the giants just didn't play very well. uh, They remind you that there's still a lot of talented players on this team. And there's still many things to play for through the end of the year, even if uh, the playoffs are not as realistic as the Giants hoped they would be. Yeah, as as my mom told me after the Giants lost the World Series in 2002 and I was heartbroken, she said, you know, being a baseball fan is about building character, and that's what 162 games does for you as a fan. So as you mentioned, stopping the season, I think the Giants were hoping for following 107 wins last year. When you look at what they can build on with this roster entering 2023, which part of the team do you see strength in? 
Well, uh, okay, so what can they build on? I would say they can build on the starting pitching. Now, Carlos Rodon's going to be a huge question mark. He's had a great year, and we don't know if he's going to come back or not. Carlos is going to get a very big contract at the end of this year, and deservedly so. Uh, but even even if he doesn't come back, I think the Giants can feel like their starting pitching's been a, a great strength. I think the Giants have found some players. You know, Joey Bart has made a great step forward. Tyro Estrada's had an excellent year where you can feel really confident that he's going to be a part of this team going forward. You know, not star players, but that's okay. That doesn't mean, I mean, and maybe those guys turned into stars, but if you're talking about, okay, what can they use from this year to jump ahead to 2023? uh, It takes away some of the decision-making you have to make on your roster where, okay, we have those spots solidified. And I'm I'm putting aside a whole group of players that we know are going to be here next year, but the guys who may be at the start of the year, you weren't sure about that. I'd put Tyro in that category i put joey in that category okay we got guys here that uh can be a big part of this team yeah and you know i, I talked to farhan a couple of weeks ago and he had said you know we need everyday players you need four to five everyday guys and you can sprinkle in some of those platoons and whatnot you mentioned joey barton tyro estrada what a surprise tyro estrada's been i mean he looks like an everyday second baseman a guy you can run out there for 162 he does i i don't know why his defense hasn't been a little better because he certainly passes the eye test. He's got all the physical tools. The defensive metrics have not loved Tyro this year. And I think that's something the Giants have to work on this offseason. Number one, decide, are those metrics right? Is it true that he hasn't played well defensively? Or is there something going on there that's causing that? And if they decide, okay, yeah, he needs to be better on defense, then how do we make that happen? Because the other stuff has been really good. He's hit for power. He's a great base runner. Uh, He gives you value in a lot of different ways. He can move around. We're seeing him even these last few days play out in the outfield. That helps your your roster makeup. If you got a guy who can truly kind of move in and out, outfield, infield. Uh, I would say that defense is the missing piece for him. Like, can he be more than a plug-in, fill-in, utility, super utility type player? If they want him to be an everyday player, I think they got to figure out that defensive part of it. Yeah, I'm with you. I've just really enjoyed watching him play. He's young, he's athletic, and, and he brings something to the table that they haven't had over at second base since, you know, guys like Freddie Sanchez and and obviously uh, uh, Joe Panic was there for many years. How about one of the newer guys? How surprised have you been by Lewis Brinson? He's been a, a nice ad over the last week or so. We've seen him a handful of games over the years, but his energy, his power, the speed. He said he was going to bring fun to the lineup, and I, I think he has in the week or so that he's been here. Uh, he could be a good addition entering 2023 as an extra piece. Yeah, I mean, he certainly fits the profile of the kind of guy that the Giants, I think, feel like they have to add more of, and that is good athletes. You know, he the Giants have to be more athletic, uh, and they have to be a little younger. And so I think Lewis brings both of those things. Uh, he, he's got the pedigree of a guy who was once considered one of the most talented young players in all of baseball. It's taken him a long time. I had a conversation with him. Uh, just recently about all the work he's done on the mental side to sort of understand the game, his own game, uh, the failure of the game. Uh, He made me laugh. He said, you know, every day I give myself a little pep talk. You're going to get two hits today. And uh, it's, it's kind of coming true uh, that you put on the giants uniform, but I think it's an example of somebody who's, you know, learned how to shrug off the failures, accept the, the successes a little more joyfully. Uh, he plays with a smile on his face. And, okay, all that, all that kind of psycho stuff, 
put that aside. The guy's talented. He's got massive power. He can run. He can play center field, a, a premium defensive position. So if you feel like this guy has figured something out, even if it took him a long time, then you got something. Do you feel like those conversations, and, and maybe not specifically with you, but in general, that we're getting more of that? I mean, he was a, a top draft pick, as you mentioned, a former first rounder about 10 years ago. And to have all that talent and then to not have that success at the big league level, I imagine that that does take a lot of sort of inventory. You've got to look at yourself and figure out what you've got to do to change that. But with the, and, and the Giants have been great with this, the end, the stigma uh, days that they've had over the last few years. How much do you think the mental element is being talked about more openly in, in terms of baseball players with success and lack thereof? Yeah, definitely way more with the Giants. I, you know, it's hard for me to know what other teams are doing. The sure. Giants talk way more about it than ever before. Uh, and I hope that's a good thing. I, I sure think it's a good thing um, because I think Lewis is an example. And there are many others uh, that have come o- around these last few years of players who struggle with that stuff. And this sport probably more than any other where you know, not, not just a sport of failure, which it truly is like, you know, the best players still fail most of the time. Uh, it's such a hard sport to play at this level, but not only that, also the journey to get to the top takes so much longer is so much more exacting and grueling in this sport. You're a, you're a star young player in the NBA, the NFL, you get your shot right away at the highest level baseball, even the most talented young players, you're in small towns and riding buses with people you don't know that you're not friends with, feeling like nobody's watching you or paying attention to you for years. And I, it, it just it does take a massive toll on so many of these guys mentally. And so I'm glad that the Giants, I think it is. We're, we're hearing much more of it. Lewis is a good example of that. Yeah, you make a great point. I mean, if, if Kyler Murray were still in the A's system, we might be getting our first look at him this year or at the end of last season. You know, we'd be just getting to know this guy at the big league level. Instead, he's been in our minds and, uh, and on our TV screens for the last several years playing in the NFL. Uh, in terms of some of the other changes that have happened uh, in the last couple of years, specifically with September call-ups, we used to get the 40-man roster expansion. My grandfather and I used to go to the last Giants game every year because they were always either in the playoffs or competing for it. And we get a look at Cody Ransom or Todd Linden or some young players coming up. It was a cool tradition for us now just 28 guys are you a fan of the 28 versus the 40-man expansion uh i'm definitely a fan of the games being more like normal games i hated the fact that september games turned into something totally different than the rest of the season that just didn't feel right when you're playing the most important games of your year it never felt right that uh you had games that just didn't look like the rest of the season uh so i'm really happy that we've done that the sport is way better for it, but I frankly think we do miss the chance to see some of those younger guys. And whether you could do a hybrid system, you know, an active uh, list every game and keep maybe 30, 32 guys around, have some fresher arms. I, this week, you and I are talking here on Wednesday. Giants are heading to Milwaukee to play a doubleheader. They already had a bullpen game last night. They'll have a bullpen game again tomorrow night. Uh, that's tough. Well, you, you already got a pitching staff that's beat up and tired and taxed. And now you're going to have two bullpen games in the middle of September within a span of three days because of a makeup uh, uh, scheduled. Uh, double. Tomorrow is supposed to be an off day. The Giants are going to play two games, including one where they don't have a starting pitcher. Uh, that's where you need some help. And that, and I do think you could tweak the way the system is and add some players who aren't active every day so you don't get the games where you're seeing moves made just one after the other. That's no good. But if you could shuffle in and out day-to-day a, a couple bodies, I think that would be a good thing. 
Boy, four day games in three days in three cities is a hell of a wrinkle to the schedule because of the uh, the lockout at the start of the season. How does that, how does a broadcaster handle the doubleheader? Broadcaster is way better than uh, a player, I think. I mean, you know, the, the good news about tomorrow is is that it's a traditional doubleheader. So, you know, we'll finish the first game, get a snack, and be ready to go for the second game. To me, that's a lot easier than playing a game, broadcasting a game, having four hours in between. Uh, where, you know, truly like, you know, what we do, I'm not saying what we do is like super taxing, but, you know, this is kind of an adrenaline job where you get up to perform. It's a performance-based job. So you, your, your energy, your focus, your brain power kind of hones in on that game time. And then if you go four hours between games, all that stuff in your brain drops off. You just kind of go into relax mode and it's really hard to then, flip the switch again and say, we're going to do another game. So tomorrow shouldn't be too bad. I, I mean, the main thing about it that is frustrating for the giants. Look, is it going to be the difference between making the playoffs and not? It's not, but giants will play six games head to head against the brewers this year and face Corbin Burns three times like that. That that's just stupid. I, I guess they'll play seven games against the brewers and face him three times, but uh, it's it really, really bad luck that they face Burns in the makeup game in April and now they're going to face him again in this doubleheader tomorrow in Milwaukee. So you go to Milwaukee for two separate one-day trips, and both times you got to face the guy who Buster Posey told me last year was the guy with the best stuff in the National League. Yeah, that's why he won a Cy Young. I mean, his cutter was insane. He's, he's one of the toughest guys to hit when he can pitch in on the hands like that, too, especially to left-handed hitters. Uh, speaking of the, the 28-man roster, David VR is a guy who came up, and we saw him earlier this year. I've been looking forward to seeing more of him. Gabe Kapler said we'll see a whole lot of him in September. Has he looked any different to you since coming back up? Well, he's a, he's had some really good swings in this series in LA. Um, I, I I love the kid. I'm really, he's not a kid. He's a you know he's a young man, but he's he's mature and experienced. He's got a lot of at bats in the minor leagues, uh, so it's not fair to to sort of bunch him in with some of the other really young guys we see. Uh, David, I I think has a chance to really help this team. His numbers were legit for two straight years in the minor leagues. Like, you don't put up those numbers by accident. He led the Pacific Coast League in OPS this year at 27 home runs, even though he spent a lot of time in the big leagues. Like, those are real numbers, even in a good hitter's environment. I talked to him the other day, and uh, the guy is so easy to root for. He is so self-aware and humble. And basically what he said was, I I – I loved my first big league experience. It didn't go well in terms of the numbers, but he said, I learned so much about me, my own game, what I have to work on, how pitchers were attacking me, my defensive shortcomings. And I went right back down to AAA and I started working on those things that I know I have to improve. And he came back up here and he says, look, I'm way more prepared now for what I'm going to see than I was my first time through. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy and it's going to happen automatically. But I think this is a guy who just carefully considers everything that's going on. And those are the kind of guys I place my bets on. Like the, the, the players who have the ability to be self-aware enough to know what they need to get better at 
have a really good chance to actually do it. I love that. I mean, that's a mindset you've got to decide to be in almost to say, hey, I didn't fail and, and kick yourself when you're down. You go back and you figure out what you got to work on. And now here he is with an opportunity to show something and, and maybe make the team or help the Giants out in the next couple of years. Uh, another guy who, who I think we can't classify as still a kid or a really young guy, Camilo Doval. I heard you talk to him earlier this week on the pregame show. What can you say about the year he's having? Because I think we're just scratching the surface of the talent and, and what this guy may be able to do at the back end of a game. Yeah, I think so, too. I think scratching the surface is a good way to put it. He's still got a long way to go. And that's what I would say about Camilo. He, it, it's, and I'm being harder on him because I think he's got that much natural talent. Uh, Camilo can be really, really special in this game. He can do things that most guys just can't do. But he's got, a, he's, he's got some maturing to do. Uh, and you see it. And he, he has made some improvements in the little things like holding runners at first base. Some of the stuff the Giants have asked him to clean up. He still has a hard time fielding his position. He's got a hard time kind of managing the, the, the details of the game out there that are really, really important. When you're pitching in the biggest innings, those details often make the difference between success and failure. He's got the pure stuff to do it. Uh, he's got the closer mindset of nothing's going to bother him out there. He's not going to get flustered. Bases loaded, one out, Manny Machado coming up. He's not going to bat an eye. He just isn't. Uh, but he does have to grow up. And uh, I think I, I hope that's going to happen. He is so young and he's got some great mentors here. Uh, but to reach his ceiling, which is that guy can be the best late inning pitcher in the game. That's the kind of stuff he has. To reach that ceiling, he's got a little ways to go. And I think that's why I'm harder on him than some others, because I think the potential is there for him to be really, really elite. No, I think that's a great assessment of him and, and from what we've seen this year. And I like that they're using him in some different situations, asking him to get a four-out save, to get up and, and get back down and then come back out for the ninth inning or the tenth inning if you need him out there. So nice that they're working him into that stuff. And, and this can be a growth year for the Giants, and he'd be one of those guys. Uh, I want to ask you uh, about something going on across baseball. Aaron Judge, not just how good he would look in black and orange next season, but about the season he's having. 54 home runs with about a month to play. The next closest American leaguer is Shohei Otani with 32. He's got 20 more homers than the next closest this guy which is insane i think we all agree barry bond's 73 he's the home run champion from 01 but where do you put 60 home runs in historical perspective especially in a season like this and in a game today where the pitching talent is just so incredible yeah pitching talent is better than ever the home run totals are suppressed this year whether it's the humidors in every ballpark or the baseballs themselves or whatever home runs have yeah, kind of stabilized but i think overall the home run hitting is down and so for him to be doing what he's doing, it's one of the all-time great home run seasons. I mean, I, I do believe strongly that, that you could make a counter-argument that, that, okay, so many different pitchers now and starters, the elite pitchers don't pitch as many innings. Okay, maybe you see the underbelly of the staff more. I would buy the different side of that argument, that the more pitchers you see, especially relievers with stuff that's just outrageous and full max effort, you know, they're going after Aaron Judge with their best guys. Most teams are. Uh, it's harder to hit than it ever has been, ever. And for him to be doing what he's doing and not just doing it on the power side, but, I mean, Aaron Judge is having a great all-around season. He's played center field. He's yeah. playing great defense. Uh, huge pressure in New York. He bet on himself with the turning down a, a massive contract. Uh, their offense has collapsed around him, and he's continued to perform. Yeah, anytime anybody – ever tries to make the argument of well 
he didn't have protection in the lineup. Just dismiss that from now on because what Bonds did for a lot of those years, although Barry had some years where he had a lot of protection, but uh, you know, but Barry's greatest year of all time might have been 2004, and he didn't have a bunch of stars around him in that year's Giants lineup. What Aaron Judge is doing this year with Stanton sort of part-time around him is incredible. Uh, and he's doing it with a smile on his face and he's the greatest show in baseball. Every at bat is must see. It's the, uh, look, I, I think he's the first guy. Albert Pujols was incredible. <laughs> Excuse me. Miguel Cabrera was incredible, but I think this is the first guy since Barry where the at bats are just much watched, must watch at bats. I'm with you, and he does it in the clutch. And I love you pointing out 2004. I mean, that's my favorite Bond season, 362 and 232 walks. And, I mean, I know he hit 370 in 2002, but 04 with the lack of protection was just unbelievable what he was able to do. Uh, by the way, Aaron Judge would look good in black and orange. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, next year, you guys are going to do something cool. You're going to go to Mexico for a couple of games, Mexico City to see the Padres. Have you done anything like that before? I was trying to remember if it, in 2004, did you go to Puerto Rico? Have you called international baseball games before? Yeah, we went to Puerto Rico in 2004, uh, which was a good experience, although Puerto Rico, you know, I mean, not that uh, I had ever been there before. It was my first time there. And even though it's a part of the United States, it also has the feel of an international place, too. Uh, And it was a great experience. Uh, The closest to this, probably I went with ESPN. uh, Gosh, I I guess it was 2019 to Tokyo when the A's played the Mariners to open the season. And I got to spend five days there and Ichiro played his final games as a professional at the Tokyo dome. Super great experience. Now that, you know, it's such a long trip. We went for almost a week. And so we had several days of kind of being a tourist and being around town and we won't get quite that experience in Mexico city, but uh, I can't wait. I mean, it's a place I've never been. I've all it's been high on my list of places in the world to visit. The stadium's supposed to be awesome. You know, it's a it's almost brand new uh, baseball facility uh, where uh, one of the Mexican professional teams has its home, and it's supposed to be really, really cool architecturally. Uh, I can't wait to go. Oh, it's going to be cool, man. That's going to be really cool uh, going out there. And you know, it's funny about that Tokyo series. I was in Australia. I was in Sydney for about a month when you were doing those games. I remember watching those and I watched them at eight o'clock at night instead of the middle of the night. So I did catch those games when you guys were out there. Yeah, you you were you felt normal. I, I felt like it was God knows what time it was. <laughs> I mean, I truly a trip to Japan is if you've ever seen the Bill Murray movie. I mean, it's it lost in translation. It yep. is so much like that going to. Tokyo, where you're, you're there and you're just in this haze of what time is it? Is it daytime? Is it nighttime? Uh, that was a challenge to work those games, but I loved every minute of it. Oh, that's so cool. I'm excited for that next year. That should be a lot of fun. So as we, we get closer to the end of the season, one of the highlights every year is that final Friday night at Oracle Park. We honor the Willie Mack Award winner and means maybe even more now that, that Willie's not with us, that we carry that legacy on and continue to show what, what the importance is of having those guys in the clubhouse. You're around these guys every day and I've liked for the last few years that the fans get a vote, but I've always thought, you know, it's supposed to be that what was so cool about it is it's the internal vote. It's everybody tied to the team and the organization where they really have a feel of who's, you know, making an impact in the clubhouse. Can you give us some insight into some guys who have been great clubhouse guys this year? Well, I mean, a guy who immediately comes to mind is Wilmer. I just think Wilmer Flores has been uh, an inspirational player for the Giants this year. He has answered the call basically every day. Yeah, the Giants came into this season going, okay, Wilmer, you know, he's only 30 years old, but he's uh, his body has – did we cut out there, Adam? Are we good? I got you. You're here. Okay, good. 
thought we cut out for a second. Not working. Uh, but, you know, Wilmer, the, the Giants uh, came into the year hoping that they would take it easy on Wilmer. Like, let's keep him fresh. We'll get the best out of him. And then, of course, every plan got thrown out the window this year. And he's played almost every day. And he's played all around the diamond. He's done a credible job defensively. He's been the Giants' best clutch hitter, which he's been for a long time. Mr. Steady, steady presence. Everybody loves him. Positive every day. Fist pumping everybody. I mean, Wilmer's a guy. I think Logan Webb has had a year where he has taken a big step forward as kind of a leader and face of the franchise. Uh, Logan would be a worthy winner. Carlos Rodon's had this incredible year where he's come to a new team and been inspirational with his performance. So there are other candidates, but the guy, when you said Willie McAward, the guy who came to mind first was Wilmer. I'm good with that. I like Wilmer Flores a lot, man. And as you said, sort of steady as she goes all the time. I always compare him to uh, to Leo DiCaprio in The Departed when he talks about doesn't matter what happens. My hand doesn't move. It stays still. I feel like that's Wilmer. Just ice ice in his veins. It seems like every day. Uh, hey, we the had end, the, you know, we ahead. had the number, Adam, on the broadcast the other day that uh, Mark Simon gave us. Uh, if you go back to the start of 2020, which is the beginning of Wilmer's Giants career. So mm-hmm. the three years he's been with the Giants. And you take late and close situations. So uh, close game, late in the game, OPS for all hitters in baseball in those situations. He's third. It's it's uh, Giancarlo Stanton, Shohei Otani, and then Wilmer Flores, and then Freddie Freeman. Uh, and that it passes the eye test because you, you, you feel like every time he's up there in a big situation, he's going to give you a great at bat. And I think that's what you're talking about. And, he, and he's become like an everyday guy. We thought he was going to be a guy who could play against lefties. And he's been, uh, he's been pretty darn good up and down the lineup, just about anywhere. You know, you can put him in the two hole. You can put him three, four five. I mean, he's not a traditional cleanup guy, but you feel comfortable and confident with any at bat Wilmer has taken. I'm with you. Uh, just, just looking around the national league here sort of quickly uh, before we let you go playoff preview, Phillies, Padres, Brewers, who doesn't get in? Um, I mean, I still think the Brewers are probably going to end up as the team on the outside looking in, but they do get, you know, one advantage of being in that division is uh, they have to play the Giants for these couple games. They have another couple tough series, but they get some Pirates and some Cubs and some Reds down the stretch. That is an advantage, Uh, whereas the Phillies, you know, still have to match up against the Mets and Atlanta playing tough games. Uh, Padres have to play the Giants still, the Dodgers still. Uh, so I think, you know, the Brewers schedule might be a little softer, but something's missing on that team. So if you if you pin me down, I would say the Brewers are going to be the team on the outside looking in. Then again, if they sneak in and you're playing a short series and you got to face uh, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta, I mean, it's an extremely difficult matchup. So the Brewers could be really dangerous if they do get in. And even if they get out of that three-game wildcard series and, and they only use two guys and they, and they get through with two games, then you got Peralta or Woodruff or whoever you want opening a, a five-game series. So uh, they could match Well, and, you know, we always – everybody always sort of made the assumption in 2014 with the Giants. Now that's going back a few years. But, okay, the Giants are going to win the wildcard game because they got Bumgarner and the Pirates didn't use Garrett Cole. And, uh, and, and it played out that way. And then everybody said, but then the Giants were screwed because – the Nationals have their guys lined up and they Giants are to use Bumgarner and look at the rest of those starters and they got no chance. And, you know, it just doesn't in this sport, it doesn't work out that way. And uh, so, uh, you know, you, you get always got to be cautious, kind of playing things ahead. Uh, you, I think you can focus on that first series and say, yeah, the teams with elite starting pitching in a short series 
do have an advantage trying to figure it out after that is a fool's errand. I love that. Uh, they, they already use Bumgarner, so they're done. Or Bochi could just say, I'll use him every day that I can use him for the rest of the season <laughs> and, and it'll work out. Uh, let, let's end with a fun one here, Dave. I was trying to wrap up with a little sort of a trivia thing or just something fun to see if you remember. So uh, 2003, your first year with the Giants, right? And I believe, was it your first weekend was Philadelphia, Kevin Millwood, the no hitter in Philadelphia? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, Kevin Millwood throws a no hitter against the Giants at Veterans Stadium. Do you remember who the starting pitcher for the Giants was that day? Um, that day, I believe it was Jesse Fopper. Was That's it Jesse Fopper? Incredible memory by you. Jesse Fopper, six innings, and he had a good day. Three hits, one earned, four walks, and five strikeouts. Joe Nathan came in in relief. Felix Rodriguez came in in relief. Do you remember anybody else in the lineup? I mean, I know you you know Bonds is out there. How much of that lineup in 03 do you remember? I think the one hit in the game, or the one run in the game, because it was a one nothing game, which made the no hitter really fun. I mean, it was dramatic. Uh, yep. I got to call. I got to call Barry's last at bat, and Barry smoked one, uh, the, the, the hardest hit ball for a Giant all game. And Ricky Lede made a great yep. running catch. And I think Ricky Lede knocked in the only run of the game. Uh, had a hit. Had a big hit for the Phillies uh, in in a no hit win. It was also the fanatics birthday so the, it was a sellout crowd they had this promotion and it, so it was this massive crowd at the vet and that made it more exciting so it was just it was really i mean all no hitters are exciting but this was like a tense taut popper pitch great giants held the line to where all the way to the final hitter of the game they, the game was in the balance uh, i give kevin millwood credit for a great performance the night before so jesse popper big giants pitching prospect the night before i think was jerome williams jerome and williams so that's right. jerome williams and i made our major league debuts on the same night and i always i mean it was years later and i'd even kind of forgotten it and i walked in to do an espn game or something in anaheim for the angels and jerome was pitching for the angels it was like a decade later and he came, comes up to me and gives me a big hug. He's like, oh, rookies together, whatever. <laughs> Made me laugh. That's so Made cool, man. And you, you guys have the great Puka Shell story that, that Jerome Williams' mom gave him. And uh, he was out of Hawaii and pitching for the Giants. He pitched for a long time in relief in the American League. So very cool, Dave. A lot of fun catching up, man. I always like when we get to, uh, to shoot the bull around baseball. And uh, thanks for the time today. We'll talk to you later. You got me thinking about Jesse Poppert. So now I got a smile on my face again. Good deal, man. Go. Good deal. Uh, what a fun conversation with Dave Fleming. Anytime I can walk down the uh, the 2003 memory lane with uh, with anybody who wants to talk 03 Giants with me, I welcome it. Uh, I know it didn't end the way we wanted in 2003 out in Miami with uh, with JT Snow coming home and crashing into Pudge Rodriguez. But I've got great memories as a kid of uh, of those those Giants teams in that era, Giants baseball. Jesse Foppert, uh, we mentioned, of course, uh, Jerome Williams, who wore the Puka Shells. That was a, a really fun era for me. I just, as a kid, when you're 13, 14, 15, when you really come online and start to pay attention to all the intricacies of baseball, learn more about the game, that that era of Giants baseball was so fun for me. And something I didn't get to mention to Dave there, on opening day of that 2003 season, uh, Joe Angel was still a part of the broadcast team then, had come back to join the broadcast team. And on opening day, the Giants won the game. And jokingly in the postgame wrap, Joe Angel said, you know, I know it's early, fellas, but I don't believe the Giants can be caught. 
And the hilarity of all that is that the Giants clinched on September 17th that year, and they never fell out of first place. Wire to wire, one of only two teams in the history of Major League Baseball. The other one was a Giants team back in the 30s in New York who went wire to wire from beginning of the season to the end. So really fun walk down memory lane with Dave Fleming, and I look forward as to what the Giants could have entering 2023. That's going to do it for us today on the Inside Giant Moments podcast. Just want to let you know next week, we'll do a little bit of a dive into Hunter Pence, who's going to go up on the wall of fame next weekend and deservedly so help bring two more championships to san francisco after he showed up here in 2012 and i think we all know the speech in the dugout the giants may not win that series after trailing two nothing to the reds at the great american ballpark in cincinnati if not for hunter pence saying things like i want to see what ryan terrio wears to work tomorrow where's to the ballpark tomorrow so next week a nice dive into hunter pence and a nice way to honor him and to remember the great times he brought to San Francisco from hitting the ball three times and one at bat to Pence at the fence, some all-time great Hunter Pence moments. We'll run through some of those next week on the Inside Giant Moments podcast. Thanks for everybody listening this week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We're getting to the end of the season, but we still got much more to do here on this podcast, so you don't want to miss a single episode all season long. Until next week, everybody enjoy the ball games this weekend. Enjoy the doubleheader on Thursday and a little day baseball on Friday in Chicago. I've been your host, Adam Copeland. We'll talk to you next week. Swing and a drive! Home run for Brandon Crawford. This. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Is. Yastrzemski! Gone! And late night Lamont strikes, strikes again. again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Inside Giant Moments. It's headed for the bay! The third of the night for Jock Peterson. With Adam Copeland. Well, strikeouts and they're on their feet here at Oracle Park for Carlos Rodon. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.